Whether or not you realize it, we see authority being exercised around us all the time. For instance, we see parents telling their children to get out of bed, to get in the car, to clean their room. (laughs) We see school teachers handing out assignments and informing us of exactly when they're due. Employers give out sets of tasks or assignments to their employees. Sports officials or referees make calls in games, whether fans and the players like it or not. (laughs) Police cruisers pull over speeders or tailgaters or texters to the side of the road. Companies send us a myriad of bills that we have no choice but to pay. Politicians make new laws by which our city and province and country have to abide. All of these are forms of authority being exercised. When someone has the right to command or to control other people to varying degrees. Authority is meant to be a good thing. Our world needs people in authority in order to operate. Of course, it can also be abused by people who probably shouldn't have ever been given that power in the first place. But regardless, we do see authority all the time, every day, all around us. Did you know that Jesus had authority when he was on earth? He had, a different, he had much more authority than we think of here. He didn't need to tell people to get into the car or to pull over their car, or he didn't need to send people bills or propose new bills in Parliament. Now, if Jesus had wanted to, he could have wielded more authority than any person in history. But in coming to earth, Jesus veiled his divine powers, sacrificially becoming one of us. He didn't run roughshod over everyone, subjugating them to his ultimate authority. But Jesus still had an incredible amount of authority on earth. The Holy Spirit gave him access to his divine authority whenever he needed. And on a number of occasions, his authority couldn't be hidden. This is one of the reasons people knew Jesus was special. He displayed authority like they'd never seen before. Today, in our series through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to come to one of these occasions when Jesus' authority radiated out of everything he did. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. We'll be starting in verse 31. If you have one of the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 860. 860 will get you to Luke 4.31. And in this passage, we're going to see several different ways that Jesus displayed his authority and what his authority means for us today. Please pray with me as we begin looking at God's Word together. Heavenly Father, as we come to the Scripture this morning, I pray that you would anoint these words with your power and with your authority, that we would see you for who you are, that we would take you at your word, and that our lives would be changed because of them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, if you were with us last week, we saw Jesus' hometown of Nazareth riding Jesus out on a rail. Jesus had come home for a visit and was invited to share a sermon in their synagogue, but in his sermon, he upset the town so much that they tried to kill him. And in verse 29 of chapter 4, we read this, 
And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So he left Nazareth, apparently for good. And when he left, he traveled northeast to another Galilean town named Capernaum. Capernaum, in verse 31, it says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Capernaum was another, it was a fishing town situated on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus decided to go to Capernaum and to stay there for a while. Matthew tells us that Jesus actually left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea. So for a while anyway, Capernaum acted like a home base for Jesus' ministry. And this passage today is going to describe one day in the life of Jesus' ministry. The story follows him around to a couple different places in Capernaum on a Sabbath day. Follows him from morning to afternoon to evening. This was in a day's work for Jesus. Now we saw last week that as was Jesus' custom, no matter where he was on the Sabbath, he made it a point to go to the local synagogue to worship with the people there. And Jesus' first Sabbath in Capernaum was no exception. We just saw this. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And just as in Nazareth, he was recognized as a good teacher, so he was asked to speak there. And as Jesus began to speak, the people began to perk up their ears. They noticed something different about Jesus' teaching. This was not their everyday run-of-the-mill sermon, and their curiosity quickly changed to fascination, which quickly changed to astonishment. Verse 31, he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. His word possessed authority. Something about what he was saying had authority, and that astonished those who were listening to him. Now, a minute ago, when I talked about the authority we see around us, I pointed out people that have to command or demand or lead or punish or... Uh, lead, just to determine fates of people around them, right? But what kind of authority did Jesus have? And this is important because authority, remember, can be good or bad. Did Jesus have authority like a good parent or an abusive parent? Or like a good king or an evil dictator? How did he wield his power on earth? This is very important. In this passage, we're going to see three different types of authority that Jesus displayed. And this doesn't mean that Jesus only had these three types of authority by any, any means. He had much more. But these three are especially highlighted here for us to think about. We see the first type in the verses that we just read, and that is this. If you're going to keep tracking your notes, Jesus has authority and power in his teaching. In his teaching. Jesus had authoritative and powerful teaching or preaching. Jesus had authority as he did this. I chose to use the present tense has. Jesus has this in your notes because Jesus has never stopped having these authorities, even to this day. Jesus didn't just have these powers one day. He still has them now. Like we just read, he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. His word or his message is what specifically possessed authority. He could tell, or they could tell that he had authority because of what he said 
or how he said it. When someone in our world attains a very extensive amount of knowledge on some topic or in some field, they're sometimes called an authority in that field. Something like, this is the world's foremost authority on theoretical engineering. Now, I would never consider myself an authority on anything like this. I mean, I hope I know enough about the Bible to be your pastor, and I know a fair amount about some other things like music or theology or sports, but I I wouldn't consider myself an authority on these topics. If you ask me, say, for example, if you ask me to come speak uh, in a class, teach a class on chemistry, (laughs) I'd be in way over my head. I might come and teach the class, but I'd probably speak timidly, confusingly, unsurely. You guys would be way more lost than when you came in. (laughs) Why? Because I am as opposite as you can get as an authority on chemistry. A real authority would speak confidently, knowledgeably, and assertively of what they know. And that's how Jesus must have been speaking here confidently, knowledgeably, and assertively. And since he would have been talking about God's word in the synagogue, he was acting as an authority on God's word. He was the world's foremost authority. No wonder, since they were ultimately his words to begin with. Apparently, and understandably, this is not what sermons were usually like for the Capernaum people. In Mark's Gospel, which has a parallel passage to this, it says that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So those who would usually teach them. Maybe the scribes who often taught them were timid or nervous teachers. Maybe they were just theoretical or speculative, always guessing, never sure. Maybe they were just not studied enough, so they weren't accurate. In their teaching. Whatever the case, Jesus was different. He spoke as an authority on God's word. Well, a natural question for us is well, what was he teaching? It, wouldn't that be important? Well, we aren't told here what Jesus was specifically talking about from Scripture. That wasn't Luke's concern or point in telling this story. After all, he gives plenty of other examples of Jesus' teaching throughout this book. We saw some last week when he spoke in Nazareth, even boldly claiming that he was fulfilling Scripture as he spoke to them. That's authority. But Luke's point here wasn't to explain what Jesus was teaching. It was simply to show that Jesus, that, that Jesus had great authority in what he taught. And it was astonishing to all who heard him. We should ask ourselves, how do we listen or respond to Jesus' teaching when we hear it. When we read God's word or hear it spoken of, we aren't just reading a storybook or a self-help book. We're reading words that are authoritative because they come from God himself. They are truth, they have authority and power, and they deserve our devotion. Our obedience. If we were in the crowd this day, listening to Jesus, hearing these words for the first time, they would have astonished us. 
And it's a shame when we are bored by them, when we fall asleep to them, we're indifferent, we're even disobedient. Jesus has the authority to speak into our lives, to make demands of us, and to change our lives. So listen to him. Pay attention. Listen to his word. We have to ask, are we listening carefully? Are we studying faithfully? And are we responding obediently to him? Jesus' teaching authority should inspire us to pay close attention to his words, which we will do more of as we go ahead, much more. But in this story itself, very few of Jesus' words are recorded. As we continue, instead, authority and power keep being displayed in additional ways. Once again, emphasizing the point that Luke wants to communicate with this story. As the story continues, we'll see a second type of authority right away. And that is this. Jesus has authority and power over spiritual forces. Jesus' authority extended to the spiritual realm where his power was shown vividly here. See where I get this from. Starting in verse 33 says this, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about Jesus went out into every place in the surrounding region. Seemingly, in the middle of Jesus' sermon, This man stood up and disrupted the service big time. More appropriately, this demon forced the man to disrupt the service. Imagine this happening in one of our worship services. It could one day. But that's, I mean, some of you may even have experienced something like this in the past. But that's not my point. I want you for a minute to imagine being in the synagogue with Jesus when this happens. Okay? You're listening to Jesus and you're riveted. To every word he's saying, fascinated by what he's saying. When all of a sudden you're startled by some random crazy looking guy standing up and starts screaming his head off. And it's not just a scream. It's a freaky demonic scream. It's like something straight out of a horror movie. All of a sudden, you can say Jesus wasn't the most riveting thing in the room. But I would say while Satan saw a chance to distract and disrupt from Jesus' teaching, Jesus saw an opportunity to show his powerful authority once again. Now this part of the story raises all kinds of questions in our mind. Is it possible for someone to be possessed by an evil spirit or a demon? What are demons anyway? How does possession work? Why don't we see possessions today? Or wasn't demon possession back in this day just psychological issues that were misdiagnosed? 
After all, they didn't have our modern psychological or medicinal knowledge that we have today. Those are all good questions, and they're important to answer, because the historical and spiritual reliability of this passage is at stake. Let's start at the beginning. Demons are angels, so spirits that have fallen into sin. Technically, Satan is a demon. He is the chief demon who led the others into his sin. And we do believe angels and demons most definitely exist. The experiential evidence for them is overwhelming. And there is no reason to doubt their existence. Demons' goals on earth are to wreak havoc spiritually, to oppose God's kingdom. And they do most of that by attacking people's minds and hearts. They become purely evil. And that's why Luke calls the demon in this story an unclean demon. He's talking about being unclean morally, wholeheartedly evil. Since demons are spirits, not physical beings, they have the ability to enter into someone, to possess them. Charles Ryrie says that a demon is then able to exert direct control and influence over that person with certain derangement of mind and or body. So yes, we believe it is possible for someone to be demon-possessed. And on that note, I should also add, though, that we believe Christians cannot be possessed because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside us, and he protects us from that kind of influence. Although one could be oppressed by a demon and not possessed and taken control. If you're wondering why we don't see many possessions today anymore, besides in movies, seems they pop up all the time in there, the truth is we do see possessions today. They just don't make the news or they're explained away as something else. We also believe demon possessions were more, probably more frequent in Jesus' day because in that day, his, Satan's kingdom was especially under attack from Jesus. If you want my theory about our day and age, I'll give it to you. Satan is no idiot. And he is crafty. He is creative. He is clever. And if you were Satan, and you had an entire culture convinced that the supernatural is not real, and that that naturalistic belief furthered your cause of fighting against God's kingdom, would you visibly show your power in that culture very often? Probably not. Demonic activity does seem to be much more active in other cultures and places around the world where the supernatural is seen as a given fact. They'd laugh that we even questioned its existence. You know the popular quote? You've probably all heard it. The devil's greatest accomplishment is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. You think about it. After all, why wouldn't Satan have different strategies in different cultures. I have a feeling that Satan is purposely hiding much of his power in Western culture, instead choosing to work behind the scenes, fostering an anti-God naturalism. That's my theory, anyway. Now, some scholars today read these stories in the Bible, and they believe that many of the demon possessions seen were nothing more than a psychological issue, such as schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. But this is just reading a naturalistic presupposition into the text. 
If you think that the supernatural doesn't happen in the world, of course you're going to assume that demon possessions were something else. But if God is real, the supernatural is real, then there's no doubt, or there's no reason to doubt that the Bible says and describes exactly what it means to describe. Psychological issues are serious problems, and many may have been misdiagnosed in the past. I'd say, likewise today, I believe many demon possessions are often misdiagnosed. These are two very real, very different conditions that are often confused for each other. One is physical, and the other is spiritual. One final question we might have is this, is are demons more powerful than humans? Well, yes, demons are naturally more powerful than us. But, should we be afraid of them? No. No. As believers, we have no reason to be afraid of demons. And that's because the God that dwells inside of us is infinitely greater than them. We've gotten off onto a rabbit trail of sorts. This story isn't meant to be an encyclopedia article about demons. This story is meant to show that Jesus has greater authority and greater power than them. Satan has some power. Jesus has more. And we can even see this in what the demon screams out to Jesus. It said, the demon cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The ha there at the beginning is not a confident laugh. It's actually a terrified laugh. In the footnotes, you might notice that this exclamation could also be translated as leave us alone or get away from us. The demon isn't boldly disrupting things in the synagogue. He's freaking out. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The New Living Translation translated this way, Go away! Why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He probably knew that even Satan's attacks had already been repelled and resisted by Jesus. And if Satan himself was doomed against him, surely his demons were as well. And in answer to the demon's rhetorical question, Yes, Jesus came to destroy Satan's kingdom. He would cripple their power forever by freeing people from their sins. A few years after this, Jesus would walk the road on Calvary, and he'd die on a cross. And I imagine the demons must have rejoiced that their foe, the Son of God, had been beaten and destroyed himself. But as Jesus came back to life three days later, they must have horrifyingly realized that it was them that had been beaten because he is stronger. Did you know that your sins and the demons that attack you with them have been beaten by Jesus? They've been destroyed on the cross. Did you know that you can be freed from their power? All we have to do is to decide to turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. 
I need you. I need you to save me. To believe in him as your savior. And if you do so, he will save you. From sin, from Satan, from death, and from hell. The demon here in this story recognized who Jesus was. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He is the Holy One of God, the Messiah or the Christ who came to destroy Satan. But if you recognize him today for who he is, you don't need to see him as a destroyer. Come to ruin your kingdom. You can see him as a saving king. Come to bring you graciously into his own kingdom. Now, the demon was telling the truth about who Jesus was. But Jesus shut him up. We see this. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of this man. Why would Jesus rebuke the demon for proclaiming who he was? A few reasons have been speculated, the biggest being, as Daryl Bach says, that Jesus likely had hesitation to have positive testimony from such an inglorious figure. Such a confession might lead to the wrong conclusion about the source of Jesus' power. Jesus also likely wanted to avoid early messianic political expectations and have people try to anoint him as a king right away. But regardless of his reasons, Jesus authoritatively told the demon to shut his trap. And then he promptly cast the demon out of the man. Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out having done him no harm. The demon gave one last fight trying to hurt the man as he left. Often in exorcisms we see that the person being freed would be physically hurt in the process. That Luke says here that the demon left without doing any harm whatsoever was a miracle in and of itself. Jesus both cast out the demon and protected the man from harm at the same time. And again, we see the crowd just being amazed. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. You might have noticed today that we've talked a lot about Jesus' authority. But in your notes, I emphasize that Jesus not only had authority, but also power. Just like the people marveled here, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits. What's the difference between authority and power? Here's how I put it. Authority is a right. Okay? Power is an ability. You might say that authority is the right to exercise power. You could say that power is the right to exercise authority. Or, sorry, not the right, the ability to exercise authority. Really, one without the other is pretty worthless. In the recent superhero movie, The Avengers, there is a scene with Captain America, and in this scene, the city of New York is under attack from aliens. And Captain America is one of the superheroes trying to fight them off, And the captain, being the leader that he is, decides to recruit some help. And so he sees a a group of cops in the area standing nearby, and he wants to mobilize them. So he jumps on top of a car and starts shouting very authoritatively, barking out orders to them. Sergeant, I want you to 
station your men on all these buildings, and I want I need a perimeter all the way down to 39th Street. And at this point, the police sergeant just looks at him in his red and blue and silver Speedo <laughs> and says, why should I take orders from you? <laughs> and right then, several huge aliens come up and attack the Captain America. And he absolutely pulverizes these aliens in a matter of seconds. And that emphatically answered the sergeant's question. So he immediately turns around, eyes wide open, and starts barking out orders to his men, relaying the captain's orders. But do you see what happened in that scene? The cop questioned Captain America's authority. But the captain's power immediately backed up his authority. And in this story that we read in Scripture, this demon unwittingly gave Jesus' power a chance to back up his authority. They went hand in hand, and the demon stood no chance. Jesus not only had the authority to command spiritual forces as he wills, he has the power to back it up, and he displayed that power here. We can trust today that he will protect us, and he'll take care of us with his awesome power. Now remember, we said this passage shows an entire day of Jesus in Capernaum. All that was just the morning. <laughs> Jesus' day was far from done. After the synagogue service, Jesus was invited to someone's home, but not for lunch, as you'd guess. This person wanted help. In verse 38, it says, And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. A Simon asked Jesus to come and see if he could help his mother-in-law. This is none other than Simon Peter, Jesus' well-known disciple. And Peter was likely already Jesus' disciple by this time. But at right now, his mind was occupied by his mother-in-law, who was ailing in bed. He, she had a dangerous, high-grade fever and was bedridden because of it. Look what Jesus does in response to their appeal. In verse 39... And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. We see one final form of authority and power in these verses. Not only does Jesus have teaching authority and spiritual authority, he also has authority and power over physical ailments. Jesus has authority over both the spiritual and the physical realm. Parents, do you ever stand over your children and rebuke them for doing something, especially if they're really young? No, you're not supposed to be pulling everything out of the garbage can. <laughs> no, I don't want you playing in the toilet. <laughs> Luke has a very interesting description of what Jesus did here to heal this woman. He says, Jesus stood over him, or over her, and rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever. No, I don't want you harming this woman's body anymore. Now, obviously, inanimate objects don't have ears or spirits or anything like that. But Jesus used his words, once again, to show his power 
over nature. And he does this time and time again in his ministry. Whether it was commanding a fever, or a fig tree, or a storm. He had power there. And when the Creator speaks to its creation, creation listens. It says, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. It was immediate healing. It left her completely. So immediate that she got right away, got up right away and started serving her guests. Imagine being this woman, lying in bed, being miserable with a fever. Fluctuating between freezing and sweating, trying to sleep. You vaguely notice a crowd of people enter your room. You think you're hallucinating, probably. You hear a man speaking over you, and all of a sudden, instantly... You feel better. The fever leaves you completely. Your body becomes a regular temperature. Your eyes pop open. And your first thought is, Wow, I feel great. Your second thought is, Who in the world are all these people in my house? <laughs> i got to get up and be a good hostess and get them some food. <laughs> it's immediate, what she does, immediately she got up, rose up, and began to serve them. Now we ask the question, does Jesus still heal people today? Yes, he absolutely does. It may very well be rare, more rare than in Jesus' day, but then again it may not be. People have attempted to abuse Jesus' power to heal for personal gain, but that doesn't change the fact that God heals whomever he wants to, whenever he wants. And if you are sick or you know someone who is today, God can heal you. We can pray for God to heal us or our loved ones in faith that he will heal. Sometimes he will answer our prayers in miraculous ways. Sometimes he'll answer our prayers by using natural means around us. Sometimes he'll answer our prayer by saying no, but then helping us through the trial. And that's because... He's working something better in our lives. See, he cares for the whole person. Mind, heart, body, and spirit. And often, physical ailments may be used to strengthen our spirits. The point for us is that we have to trust him. We have to have faith in him. We have to pray in faith and trust him to work in our lives. He has the right to, and he has the ability to. Well, as you might imagine, this was also not an everyday occurrence for the people in Capernaum. Seeing a fever just immediately healed. And once people saw this happen, word got out fast, and Jesus was swamped. And say it was like feeding ducks. You feed a duck or two, and all of a sudden you've got a whole swarm of them begging for bread. And this brings us to the end of Jesus' day in verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because he knew, or because they knew that he was the Christ. 
The power that we've already seen today gets displayed exponentially to many more people. Many that had various diseases were brought, and he healed all of them. And many others that were demon-possessed were brought to him, and they were freed as well. And as demons would leave people, they found out who Jesus was, and they'd cry out, You are the Son of God. But just as he had done earlier, Jesus shut them up too. He says he wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Jesus didn't want the praise from demons. His works spoke loudly enough. His authority and power were on full display. As we noticed earlier, everything about Jesus' power and authority here revolved around his words. You notice that? He spoke to teach, and the crowds were astonished at his authority. He spoke to demons, and they fled, petrified of his spiritual power. He spoke to heal the sick, and the diseases were vanquished completely. His word has unbelievable power. He was the Son of God, the Christ, the Holy One of God. The demons were right. But while Jesus didn't tolerate their surrender or their concessions and their confessions, He loves our surrender, our confessions of who He is. He wants us to be astonished by his words. He wants us to be amazed by his power and his authority and to trust him because of it. He wants us to praise him as Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God. And if you've heard him speak today through his word, listen carefully to his powerful His words have the power to teach you, to protect you, and to heal you forever. Physically and spiritually. And in response to his words, let us use our words to praise him for who he is. To sing of his great power to save. Let's pray.